You are now dismissed for Children's Church. You can follow these wonderful teachers out the door. Parents, if this is your first time with your kids going to Children's Church, you're welcome to walk them over there, meet the teachers, see the classroom right, ac- right across the hall. Uh, they can be picked up at the conclusion of the service. Thank you, teachers. Thank you, nursery volunteers. It's the unseen ministry of our church that makes uh, a lot of other things possible. So thanks if you're one of those who serve in that area. All right, well, starting a new series this week um, that's going to take us through the end of the summer, which is just right around the corner, oddly enough. Um, We're looking at the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, which regardless of your church background, um, I'm guessing you know something about Jonah, and it probably has to do with a giant fish, which we're going to talk about that passage next week. Um, What you may not know about Jonah is that it's considered a literary masterpiece, not just by those who believe, but also by those who don't believe. Um, It's uh, it's masterfully written. It's a compelling story. It's relatively short. A lot of times if you open up your Bible, it just takes up two pages. It's a short little book. Um, But it's not just a literary masterpiece. It is a beautiful picture of God's compassion. Uh, We're going to see that in this series, that God's compassion is going to show up in surprising ways for surprising people. And this afternoon, we're going to look at the first 16 verses of chapter 1. You can find that in your bulletin or in a Bible if you have that. Um, As you're turning there, um, when I was young, I went on a family vacation to San Francisco, California. Uh, We went there for a week just to see the sights. Though the primary reason we were there was to watch my dad compete in a triathlon called the Escape from Alcatraz Triathlon. Um, In this triathlon, this was, I think, 1990, maybe, Um, somewhere around there. In this triathlon, the participants would be taken uh, from the mainland out to Alcatraz Island, where there's a prison on that island, which I'm sure you've heard of, and they would jump off the ferry, swim inland a mile, and then the bike and the run portion would happen around the hills of San Francisco. Um, But if you've ever seen Alcatraz Island, you know that this is just a fascinating, fascinating place. Um, It was considered one of the highest security prisons back in the day. And they thought, hey, we'll put this thing on an island so no one will escape, right? Well, over the time that Alcatraz was opened, 36 men tried to escape. 36 men over the course of however many years. vast majority didn't make it. But there are three prisoners who attempted the escape who were never seen again. So they're not totally sure what happened to these three men. This comes from the FBI's website. So I think it's a, a reliable source I was just perusing the FBI's website and saw the story. Um, Listen to how these three men escaped. They used a homemade drill from a motor of a broken vacuum cleaner to loosen air vents at the back of their cells. They drilled these holes closely spaced together so they would cover the entire section. They could remove the vent and then they could like put a suitcase or a piece of cardboard or something in front of it. Behind the cells was a common unguarded utility corridor um, that they made their way down This corridor, they climbed um, to the roof of their cell block inside the building where they set up a secret workshop. I mean, this is a a true story. Secret workshop, top of Alcatraz. They go up there and work. They got more than 50 raincoats that they stole or gathered, um, and they made them into makeshift life preservers and a 6 by 14 foot raft. These guys are amazing. If they just would have put that energy into, like, not being a criminal, that would have been amazing. Um... But they, they vulcanized the, the seams of this raft by using hot steam pipes in the prison. They built wooden paddles uh, out of converted musical instruments. Um, okay, so in order to escape the building, the ceiling was like 36, high, 36 feet high. Um, they climbed up this network of pipes 
pried open the ventilator at the top of the shaft. Okay, so they get out. Um, they, 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 they got to the corridor, gathered their gear, climbed up through the ventilator, got out onto the prison roof. This is the escape. Then they shimmy down the bakery smokestack at the rear of the cell house, as one does, the bakery smokestack, climbed over the fence, snuck to the northeast shore of the island, and launched their raft. And here's a quote from the FBI's website. What happened next remains a mystery. Did they make it across the bay, get to Angel Island, and then cross Raccoon Strait into Marin County as planned? Or did the wind and waves get the better of them? And no one knows the answer to that because they never found their bodies. These men never showed up again. They, ne- they don't know what happened. Um, but they went to great lengths to run away from this prison to escape. And if you put them, yourself in, in their shoes, you think, you know what? Like, prison's probably not a great place to be. They were going to be there forever. Like, what did they have to lose by trying to escape prison? In some ways, it kind of makes sense to just give it a shot. Worst case scenario, you end up back in prison once again. In our passage today, we're going to see Jonah try to escape from God. Which might seem like a really bad idea, but if we're honest, it's going to be something that we can all relate to. So with this idea of running from God in mind, let's look at this passage, Jonah 1, 1-16. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from and what is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. Oh, how we need to hear it. And only your spirit 
will allow us to hear it. So Spirit, open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts. Help us to know You during this time. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two headings I want to think about this passage under this afternoon. I want to think about running from God and being pursued by God. Running from God and being pursued by God. First, let's talk about running from God. So God speaks to Jonah and He tells him to go to Nineveh and call out against it. To speak against the evil that they were doing. But Jonah basically says, no, I'm going to do something else. Verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa to find a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Tarshish is used three times in that uh, one verse just to make the point. He was not going to where he was supposed to go. He was not going to Nineveh. He was going to this other place away from the presence of the Lord. What's going on here? A little context will help with this passage in the weeks ahead. Who is Jonah? He's a fairly popular figure. Again, regardless if this is your first time in church ever, um, or you've been in church your whole life, you probably have heard a little bit about him. The reality is we don't know a lot about Jonah. Um, he's mentioned in 2 Kings 14. He was a prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam II. He was a son of Amittai. And that's kind of all we get. Um, even the book of Jonah is a little unusual. So this would fall into the category of being a minor prophet. Um, but it's more a narrative about a prophet rather than being a prophecy that we're reading which would be different than other minor prophets. But one important thing for us to see about the life of Jonah and his history as a prophet of Israel is that he knew God. And he knew God's word. He was brought up as a prophet. He knew who God was. He knew the way he worked. And it was his job to tell people about that. Okay, so we can tell from the outset that he is not running from God out of ignorance of God and his ways. It's actually going to be the opposite that we're going to see. Let's talk about that. Why is he running? Why was Jonah running? We're going to see this more as the story progresses. The short answer is he's running because he didn't like the Ninevites. And for good reason. They were actually a really terrible um, people. They, uh, Nineveh was the military capital of Assyria. It was notoriously wicked. Notoriously wicked. Um, brutally attacked and tortured and murdered their enemy, enemies. One commentator compares the Ninevites to like a modern day terrorist organization. That there's just, there's like nothing you can affirm about it. It is just pure evil. That was how they rolled. And Jonah knew that and he did not like them. And Jonah knew God. He knew what he was like and he knew he was a merciful God. And so the mere possibility of God being merciful to people like the Ninevites was just too much for Jonah. Uh, God's grace and mercy to himself, to Jonah, he's good with that. God's grace and mercy to his people, the Israelites, he's good with that. God's grace and mercy to people like them, the Ninevites, not okay with that. And so this is where we are first forced to wrestle with this question as we sit under the book of Jonah. Um, Who are the Ninevites for you? Who are those people Um, where the thought of God showing compassion to them is just too much for you? It it sort of makes your skin crawl if God is compassionate to those types of people. Who is that for you? Major question of the book. 
That was what Jonah was struggling through. What does he do? Verses 2 and 3, he runs from God's call. But multiple times it says he runs from God's presence. Uh, when I was 15, I started working at a, a grocery store in my hometown called High V. My job was to bag groceries and bring in carts. Um, and, uh, you know, every time you worked, a portion of the day you'd spend, in bringing, you'd spend bringing these carts in from the parking lot. Not glamorous work. It's like classic, you know, 15-year-old uh, hourly work. Fairly boring except for one day. I'll never forget, I was standing in the parking lot one day, uh, pushing in a huge row of carts, and I looked at the door to the grocery store, and a grown man came running out of the grocery store carrying a case of beer. I was like, that seems unusual, like sprinting out the door. And then I saw two grocery store workers sprinting out behind this man who was carrying the beer, one of whom was the butcher. And I thought, this cannot be a good situation to see the man running with the case of beer and then two workers, including the butcher, running after him. Um, and so I instantly realized this guy is trying to steal a case of beer on foot just by like grabbing it and running. Um, which that brings up so many questions, like what was going on with this guy? Anyways, um, but immediately this guy took the case of beer. He ran up into this neighborhood that was just off the side of the grocery store. The two men run after him. Eventually they call the police. They catch him. Saw the whole thing take place just like that. Even 15-year-old me knew that this guy was running in vain. You just sort of know that is not going to end well. Running with the case of beer. He was not going to escape. It was totally futile. All right, we can read a passage like this where Jonah is, it says he's trying to run from God's presence. And pretty quickly we can realize that's a really bad idea. Okay, to run from God's call on your life, I think we're a little sympathetic. They're like, okay, yeah, that, you know, but it's still a bad idea. To run from God's presence, not only is that a bad idea, that's, that's impossible, right? But we do this very thing. Think about your own life. Think about your own story. How do we try to run from God? What does that look like for you? Sometimes we just run from Him. Maybe you've had seasons of life where you were just like outright in rebellion, running the other direction from God. I had a year like this right after I graduated college. Uh, it was the first season of my life since I'd become a Christian where I didn't lock into really meaningful, in-depth Christian friendships. I was in church going through the motions, but, but sort of hiding this sort of second life from those friends or from my church family, just kind of full-on rebellion running from God. Uh, when I was in college ministry, I'll never forget talking to a college student about this very thing. And she was really wrestling with this idea of rebellion and kind of just wanting to walk away from her faith and just say goodbye to all of it. And she said, you know, I've thought about just like running away, transferring, um, taking time off from school, living however I want to live. And I said, well, what, why don't you? What keeps you from doing that? And she said, because I know God's going to be there too. And I know he's going to find me. And if that resonates with you, it's, it's not uncommon to have a season of life like that. Like um, the story of the younger brother and the prodigal, the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. He goes to this far country and just goes wild. Maybe you've had an experience like that. Maybe for you though, it's not like um, outright, um, like all out rebellion. Maybe you sort of have one area of your life that you kind of try to hide from God or sequester and keep away from him. Maybe you're, you're going to church, you're reading your Bible, you're generally trying to follow Jesus in your life, but you have like a special secret habit or relationship. Uh, maybe it's an unhealth, unhealthy dating relationship uh, or an affair or an addiction, a gambling issue where you find yourself sort of whatever it is doing these mental gymnastics and spiritual gymnastics to try to like kind of hide this thing from God. If that's resonating, 
you're not alone. That's part of the human condition. Genesis 3, three chapters into the Bible, Adam and Eve eat the fruit they should not eat. And guess what happens? All humanity gains this posture of running from God. Adam and Eve run from God in that moment and suddenly it, becomes in, it comes into our DNA to try to run from God. And so here's a key question from the book of Jonah that is good for all of us to wrestle through. What does God do with people who run from him? God pursues those who run from him. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about being pursued by God. Jonah's on a boat, physically trying to run from God. How does God pursue Jonah? Look at verses 4 through 6 in our passage. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Just an amazing thing to call someone. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us so we may not perish. Okay, so he jumps on the ship with these sailors, likely very experienced sailors, yet God sends a storm that's so bad it scares these experienced sailors enough to where they start praying to their pagan gods. So we don't know exactly who their gods were, these other pagan false gods that they start worshiping and and praying to in this moment. And they're so afraid, um, they're crying out to their gods, they start throwing cargo overboard to lighten the ship. Meanwhile, Jonah's asleep, and they say, wake up and have your God do something about this. What is God doing in this moment? He is pursuing Jonah with the chaos of a storm. Look at verse 7. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account the evil has come upon us. They cast lots, the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Um, This storm came upon them because Jonah was running from God's presence. Think back to your own life. What storms have you experienced because of your own sin? Because of your running from God? We have to be careful here because we don't always know why storms arise in our life. Um, but sometimes there are particular ways in which we are rebelling from God, running from Him, that just wreaks havoc on our lives. And there are clear consequences that we have to deal with because of that. Maybe it's like a shady financial deal that leads to lies to cover it up and anxiety and fear being found out. Maybe legal consequences if you get found out. So there's just this storm constantly brewing. Maybe it's sexual activity outside of marriage that leads to this storm of physical and emotional and relational just chaos and turmoil. It's just a storm that's raging. I wonder what it might be for you. You know, we don't always know where the storms come from, but we know for sure that running from God never ends well. It does not deliver the happiness or peace or pleasure or hope that we think it will Running from God will lead to some kind of storm. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Think about 
your own life and your own story. It will lead to a storm. But what does God do in the midst of that storm? God is so good, He uses those storms to show His grace and mercy. This whole passage is really amazing. God is not just pursuing Jonah with this storm. He's going to keep pursuing Jonah. You'll see that in the weeks ahead. But He's even using this opportunity, this storm, to pursue these sailors. How does God pursue the sailors? Look at verse 11. They said to Him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous, which is a great word. That means very stormy, by the way. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea. The sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Uh, in this storm, these pagan sailors, you may have noticed this, they showed compassion to Jonah. Um, they didn't immediately throw him into the sea. They, they tried to row the boat to the land, but that wasn't working, so they very reluctantly tossed him out into the ocean. And do you see how God is at work in this storm? Look at verse 14. They did not cry out to their pagan God this time. They cried out to Jonah's God. The true God, acknowledging that God is doing something with Jonah in this moment, and, and it feels big. They don't want to be guilty of murder. They're terrified. They're trying to do the right thing, so they toss him. Then look at verse 16. The storm is over. All is calm. Do they go back to their pagan gods? No. It says they feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They turned from their false gods to the one True God. God uses storm not just to pursue Jonah, but also to turn these pagan sailors into his own sons. This is God's compassion. He's chasing after Jonah, not letting him run away. In the midst of the mess that Jonah created, he's using it for good to bring people to himself. I'll never forget, years ago in another city, another church that we were connected to, um, there was a, a, a boy, I think it was early teens, um, that... Uh, ran away one night from his family. And this, this, this kid was kind of chronically rebellious and um, was frequently a prayer request for his parents. And um, then, you know, we had heard that, that, he, had, that he had run away. And um, honestly, it would, it would not have been um, uh, crazy. It would have been very understandable for this father to say, you know what, he wants to try to run away tonight. I'm going to let him, let him do it and feel the consequences of this. He's going to realize, he'll come back in the morning and realize, you know, that whatever, we're trying to take care of him. That would have been understandable in this situation. But that's not what this father did. Uh, this rebellious son who had caused lots of chaos in the home runs away, disappears. As soon as the father realizes his son was gone, he starts, of course they call the authorities, he starts calling neighbors, friends, people in the church, they, it's cold, they get jackets and headlamps, and they just go searching all over. Late into the night, they're searching for this kid. They find this kid early in the morning, cold and shivering, and they bring him back home. Um, this dad loved his son so much that even whether he deserved it or not, this dad was going to go out and find his son and bring him back into the home that night. In this text, in this story, Jonah runs from God 
yet God pursues him. The sailors were running for God, from God in their own way, right? Worshiping these pagan gods, yet God pursues them. Uh, do you know that God pursues us? Do you know that He pursues you? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Uh, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, God chases after those who run because He loves them. Let me personalize that. God chases after you when you run because He loves you. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Um, if you are running from God today, there is an invitation to stop and to look up and to realize that this loving Father has stopped at nothing to come and pursue you, to come and chase after you. Um, if you're new to resurrection, if you're just checking out this new church thing that meets in a gym at 4 o'clock on Sundays, know that we are a church full of people who have run from God at some point in our lives. And uh, we are here trying to help each other uh, not do that now. We're trying to help each other not run from God, but that's, that's a part of our story. We have all at some point run from God. Um, and we have not earned our place before Him. It's because of His compassion, His grace and mercy that we are here. Uh, this is not a church uh, for those who have earned their spot in the church. This is a church for those who have received the compassion and grace and mercy of God. And so here we are journeying together to try not to run from God, but to rather run to God together. And that is what is on offer for you this afternoon. To look up and to see that in the midst of your running, God is pursuing you. He is chasing after you. And he invites you to himself. And I would love to talk with you after the service if you feel like God is stirring in you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are a God who runs. You're a God who runs after his people because you love your people. You're a God that pursues the nations. You're a God that pursues those even who have run after other gods. Father, thank you for your compassion, not just for us, but for the other, for them. Father, as we consider Your Word in this series together, help us to examine our own hearts and to examine the ways that we are running and the ways that You're pursuing us, but also to examine who we think the other is, uh, who it makes us uncomfortable that You might have compassion on. And God, would we follow uh, suit and have compassion on them as well. Oh Lord, would you meet us as we come to your table? In Jesus' name, amen. And so we invite you now to the Lord's table. This is a meal that nourishes us and strengthens us. Uh, this is a meal for those who are weary from running from God and want to return to His rest that is found in Jesus. And so if you have been baptized and you have centered your life around Jesus and you're connected to a church that proclaims that, that good news about Him, then you're invited to come and feast at this table this afternoon. But if that does not describe you, hold off on coming to this table and, 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 and during this time just sort of sit and pray and reflect and think about your own life and your own story. And if you have questions about what it would mean for you to follow Jesus, I would love to talk with you.